It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Hello. Hello. You're lucky I'm here. Why is that? I got asked to go on Love Island. After we talked about it on last week's podcast. Yeah, I said I didn't really fancy moving into the house for this series, you know. Go on, tell me what what, what really happened. No, what the production company rang up and said was, I have a fan and would I like to come on to do the sort of after party or whatever they do on Love Island. Oh, like um, the extra factor, but yeah, yeah, Ireland, yeah, yeah. I was sadly voting on Brexit. Oh, why couldn't you? I'm not a watcher, in truth. I'm not just to be candid. But you could have brought me. Oh, you could have worn an earpiece, and I could have fed you opinions. Do you think that would have worked? I'm not <laughs> sure. That feels sort of that feels quite kind of thin ice. Also, I could never go on that show because I don't like to take my shirt off even on holiday. No, they, they're always topless. These men. Yeah, well, they have to be, don't what they? What is wrong with them with all their confidence? No, I know, exactly. Have some body shame, for goodness indeed, sake. Indeed, indeed. Uh, so no Love Island for no, you, then? No, uh, I do have a bone to pick with you. I told you this before we started recording yeah. today. Um, so I, I uh, got a notification on my phone the other day from WhatsApp, and we have our little Reasons to be Cheerful WhatsApp group, and it came up on my phone, Ed Miliband has now left the group. I was never in a group. Well, you left it. You somehow left it. I don't have WhatsApp on my phone. You've snubbed the rest of us. You think you're too good for the Reasons to be Cheerful WhatsApp group. Is there a Reasons to be Cheerful WhatsApp group? Yes. Yeah, well, I've can... never been part of it. Never mind this. <laughs> I've got a bone to pick with you, which is you've been having a secret WhatsApp group with everybody else who works on Reasons to be Cheerful and not telling me about it. <laughs> Look at this. Here's the, here's, here's the uh, Reasons to be Cheerful right, back at WhatsApp group. Yeah. It's, it's basically a way of kind of slagging me off. What is, what is the last thing in that group? Go, scroll to the most recent thing. I've never been in this fucking group. <laughs> then how did you leave it? Ed's and... such a pain in the arse, isn't he? <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> Honestly, you're outed. So how did you lo- leave the group if you were never in it You've in the first place? You've got red in the face now. There, there's a mystery here. I think You basically thought you'd going, do some double bluff, you? are going you? on the attack. Because you knew you're I'd going go, on the attack because out. you've been called out. 
We know that I've all you MPs. We know that all your MPs are in WhatsApp groups. I've got we a rubbishy iPhone five. The memory always runs out. I can't accommodate WhatsApp. I occasionally download it, then it disappears. But I promise you, I've never been part. I of I occasionally that group. download it and it disappears. Well, then I have to delete it because my memory's full and then it doesn't work and all that. Okay, I mean you. Anyway, you, look. Honestly, now you're rumbled. I think we need to have an inquiry. <laughs> we definitely need a judge-led inquiry into this. I want to know what's been going on on that WhatsApp group. It's a lot of logistics about WhatsApp. Oh, uh, logistics, yeah, that's what they all say. <laughs> Nothing to hide. Mm. Nothing to hide. Mm. I might leak the WhatsApp yeah, group. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> all right then. Well, that's that's created a, it's created an uncomfortable atmosphere. Has. Ed has his arms very definitely. tightly folded. Totally folded. I'm going to be taking up with other people this WhatsApp group. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna shift the energy though because yep. uh, something good has next happened. time that happens. By the way, check with the other people because they're probably now got their heads in their hands saying, "Look, we weren't supposed to tell Ed about the bloody WhatsApp group." <laughs> it's that he wasn't supposed to know about. <laughs> it's because of my tendencies to micromanagement. I was cut out of the group, and now you've revealed that the group exists. <laughs> Would you would you would you like honestly, to join Would you like honestly, to join the group, Ed? No, no. Honestly, I get I get when I'm not wanted. Well, maybe maybe we'll have a real reason to pitch a WhatsApp group that you don't mm. know about, and then one which includes exactly, Ed. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. I'm going to shift the energy yes. because uh, something good has happened. We have vegan cupcakes. Oh, fantastic! Today, so you may remember uh, a few episodes ago, we tried to rig the British Podcast Awards, by getting people mm. who voted for our podcast to uh, screenshot it and send it to us. And we said we'd do a prize draw for somebody to come and spend time with us. Our winner was Vicky, mm. who is with us today. And she's brought with her vegan cupcakes. Honestly, they are absolutely delicious. Mm. I mean, they are. I'm having these strawberry and... Pistachio. Pistachio. And they are absolutely delicious. They come from somewhere in Sloan Square called... Wolf. Wolf and Lamb? Wolf and Lamb. Thank you for these, Vicky. They're so good. Get they on. are incredibly nice, aren't they? I mean, just to mm. go back to the episode on meat, it shows you you can have incredibly nice vegan delicacies. Uh, we should mention the King's Place show in London yes. that we're doing. Tickets selling fast. Have you checked that, have you? <laughs> no, I'm just <laughs> hoping. hoping. <laughs> when you say you know somebody who's bought a ticket. I do, so, yeah, yeah. So it's and not I think just she bought it be, quite quickly. It's not just going to be us. Yeah. Um, but we're very much looking forward to this. It's on Sunday the 24th at King's Place. 7.30pm. In King's Cross in London. And we've got great guests lined up. Please do come along. It's going to be a fun evening. Yeah. So, this week's episode then. We're talking about the gender divide in the workplace. And, and we're starting off by talking about uh, young women and apprenticeships and apprenticeships in engineering. Uh, there's a sort of extraordinary fact, which is that only one out of every 25 engineering apprenticeships go to women. Um, I mean, that is a stark sign of the gender divide. We have the lowest proportion of women in engineering of any country in Europe. We're at about less than 10 percent other countries are at the, in as much as 30 percent it's still not parity but it's you know we, we know we've got a big shortage of engineering workers in this country we're going to be talking to a young woman scientist and um somebody from the young women's trust which is trying to break down that gender divide but we've also got um from australia a, a woman who is the head of the agency in australia which is tasked with breaking down the gender divide in Australia in terms of the workplace and talking to her about how that agency is going about its task 
And her point is, we should be getting women into traditionally male jobs, we should be getting men into traditionally female jobs as well. So we're going to be talking about all of these issues about the gender divide in the workplace. And as well as that, we have one of our finest radio hosts, Lauren Laverne, coming in to pitch ideas, which could be potential reasons to be cheerful. And there's been an Ofcom report published this week about diversity in the radio industry, which is pretty depressing reading at times. I remember when I started out in radio, the management always used to say, oh, the trouble is women don't like hearing other women on radio. We've got research to prove it. Nobody's ever seen this research. It's turned out years later to be completely spurious. But for years, I mean, it was a real... That's uh, what they said in the 1970s, was it? Yes, and in the 80s and in the 90s <laughs> when I, I started. Um, sorry, that was a low blow. <laughs> it was. Uh, you're still feeling, uh, you're feeling left out. Exactly, of the yeah. WhatsApp graph foot folded my arms again. Um, <laughs> so, so what's your reason to be cheerful this weekend? Well, my, my reason to be cheerful is that you know, the sort of traditional stereotype is, you know, men can do barbecues. Uh, and, you know, even if men are rubbish at cooking in general, they can do the barbecue. Well, Once you're outside, it's a different... different I'm this sort of, you know, generally the kind of exception to that because I'm just sort of generally rubbish. Uh, but I put together a barbecue set this weekend for Daniel's birthday. Daniel's birthday has been going on for a long time. Some of our listeners may have noticed. Uh, but uh, uh, he wanted a barbecue. We, I put the barbecue set together. We, we, we sort of, you know, it came disassembled. Justine and I did it as a kind of co-piloting, as we call it, exercise. We didn't sort of shout at each other. I felt that I performed reasonably well in the task. I mean, it wasn't very easy. I mean, it's kind of easy for anybody who could you know, doesn't have a bad relationship with inanimate objects. But for me, it was a sort of very, very high bar to get over. And I managed to, I managed to do it. And I felt quite proud. And, and you know, we said to Daniel earlier on in the day, because he was going off for a party with some of his friends, he said, we, we said, you know, are you really keen on a barbecue? And I thought he was going to sort of, I mean, the answer was he was, yes, keen on the barbecue. So we kind of put this set together and it, and it we did it. Congratulations. Yeah, no, no, yeah. I'm, I'm proud. What about you? Uh, I'm just going to go with Father's Day. I'm very excited about Father's Day, which is this coming Sunday. Oh, is it? Gosh. Yeah, so uh, you'll be hearing this the day after Father's Day. And I just, re- for most of my life, it's something that I haven't really given much thought to. My dad is very gruff and northern and dismissive of it. He's like, I'm not bloody interested in Father's Day. It's invented by the post office. Yeah. And uh, since I've become a father myself, it has become one of my favourite days of the year just because of all the fuss that is made over me. So I'm really looking forward to being made a fuss of on Sunday. Now that you've reminded me, I'm going to sort of drop heavy hints about Father's Day. Reasons to be cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. On the line, we have Nia John, who is on the Young Women's Trust advisory panel. Um, Nia is a science communicator. Hello, Nia. Hello. Hi. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about your personal experience and and get you to tell us the story of um, how you decided to study physics and go into science. Um, well, I think there were a lot of people that encouraged me into studying science. So, like, my parents, especially my father, has always been very, very supportive. Um, but also I had great teachers who would sort of take me to one side and be like, you're really good at this, and this is something you should do. And at the end of the day, I really love physics. It's a fantastic subject. There's nothing else that you can study that lets you study everything from the very smallest bits right up to the entire universe. Um, right. It's a great subject if you don't know what you want to study. There's a specific story about your dad buying you a book. Yes. So when I told my father that I wanted to study physics, 
um, he decided suddenly that I really needed a mentor or a role model of some description. Um, so he started buying me all these books about all these fantastic women scientists like uh, Lisa Meitner and Marie Curie and all these fantastic women. Um, but one of the things I found when I read these books was it sort of put me off a little bit. Um, because one of the problems, if you read these books, is it becomes quite clear that these women who were exceptional, who were geniuses, uh, had a lot of trouble simply because they were women. Um, so that kind of backfired a little bit. I found it a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit worrying that if I was going to be a woman going into science, uh, that I'd have a lot more trouble than a mediocre man um, when all these exceptional women had clearly had quite a rough time of it. You work as a scientist now, is that right? Uh, yeah, so I work in science communication. And how unusual when you were studying was it to be a woman in that field and what were the pressures you faced? If I remember correctly, in my university course, it was about 20% women. Um, and the thing is, when you're studying, especially things like physics, you've got something called the leaky pipe problem. So the higher up in uh, science you go, like more and more women will sort of drop out. So it's quite easy to get women to do GCSEs in physics and then fewer do early and fewer do um, degrees etc etc as you go up um, and yeah I think again there's always that pressure because it's definitely you walk into a room and it's not unusual to be the only woman in the room um, you know and it's even now like I do a lot of shows in the planetarium and I have had men explain uh, how black holes work to me even though I know perfectly well how a black hole works uh, you know, right. that's my job so yeah I think sometimes there is that um, thing where you're definitely a bit of a fish out of water. Can we go back to that leaky pipe problem? Yes. What, what is it that causes that? Well there's all sorts of different things I think it depends on what level so sometimes you'll have you know women they might have uh, children and caring responsibilities and they'll decide that they will you know drop out of the sort of academic career because they want to take more time to do that and they think that academic qualifications won't let them uh, look after their children in that sort of way sometimes you also have things where you know as the sciences get harder sort of women feel less comfortable being in those spaces uh, again I work a lot with children and I think when you're talking to primary school children, like there's no difference in the questions that you get from boys and girls. Uh, you get exactly the same quality of questions when you're talking about that. But as they get older and you get up into secondary school, I will get a lot more questions from boys in the class than I will from girls in the class. And part of this will be boys are a bit happier to sort of put their hand up and wave and uh, demand that I ask a question. Girls, they tend to sort of ask me at the end when there's a few minutes left and everybody's leaving. They're a little bit shyer. Um, so there's all sorts of different problems that lead to this sort of leaky pipe problem. And the leaky pipe kind of starts early. I mean, we were looking at some figures uh, today and it shows that while the proportion that the, ta the gender take up of and achievement in core STEM GCSE subjects is there, there isn't much gender difference. Only around twenty percent of A-level physics students are girls, and this hasn't changed in twenty-five years. What do you think, Nia, as somebody who is in the field and who, if you like, you know, broke through the glass ceiling and the barriers? What can we start to do about some of this? One of the reasons that I decided to study sciences was because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go down the arts route or the sciences route. And I had a maths teacher who told me in no uncertain terms that I was going to do A-level maths, whether I liked it or not. Um, and I think if you sort of tell young women, oh, no, actually, you are very, very good at this uh, and you will go find this. And maybe they need a little bit of extra encouragement. I know certainly 
when uh, I was in school, we had a lot of girls who did the AS in physics, but no, didn't continue on to A-level, even though some of them had got better marks than some of the boys that continued to A-level. And sometimes I think they thought that it was just easier to stick to some of these other subjects because A-level physics is a difficult A-level. What could we be doing better to break down these barriers? I think if you have sort of positive women role models, um, so you want... Not just like these absolutely extraordinary women scientists that we tend to hear about a lot, but also sort of more modern contemporary examples of like women scientists who are sort of just okay. So I think that would be a lot more reassuring to me. Um, you know, I didn't think I was going to go into science and win a Nobel Prize. That was quite a lot of pressure. Um, and also I think things like you need to talk a lot about flexible working and, you know, women need to know that if that is something that they think is in their future, being a, you know, uh, being a carer, that actually this is something that's definitely going to be available in um, academics. And again, if you are uh, a person with a young woman in your life, you should be talking to her about these subjects and you should be talking to her about signs of encouraging the learning that actually you can see in very young children. Um, you know, from a young age. And you've just got to keep that going and you should be putting the effort in uh, to make sure that their enthusiasm is maintained. And Nia, you are a fantastic role model. Um, Where can people come and hear you doing science explaining? So at the moment, I work in TechniQuest. Uh, It's a science exhibition centre in Cardiff Bay. Uh, I'm there fairly often and I do uh, science shows. So yeah, you should definitely come down. So if you want to know about black holes or anything else to do with science, go and hear Nia. Nia, thanks very much for joining us. No worries. Thanks very much. We're joined now by Dr. Carol Easton, who is Chief Executive of the Young Women's Trust. Carol, hello. Hello. Uh, Can you tell us a little about your organisation and what you do? Yes, Young Women's Trust exists to support and represent women struggling on low or no pay and potentially facing a life of poverty. And we hear a lot and thankfully employment rates are going up and um, young people's opportunities in some areas going up. But we're really concerned at Young Women's Trust that more than a million young women are struggling in low pay, Um, struggling on borderline of poverty, not able to put food on the table, not able to find work that they can juggle with their other responsibilities and and kind of (laughs) kept out of certain areas of work as well. So although overall I'm sure life is better for young women than it was for my mother or my grandmother, at Young Women's Trust we're there really to make sure it's it's going to be good for the current generation as well and they're not going to be losing out in the long term. And can you talk to us a bit more about the, the areas they're locked out of and, and why that happens? So the report that we're publishing this week at Young Women's Trust is about certain sectors, particularly where young, well, women, let alone young women, are really seriously underrepresented. So places like engineering, IT, um, construction. Um, and this is the 21st century. So it's really quite hard to understand why you wouldn't have equal numbers of women doing apprenticeships or being employed in places of work, which, you know, absolutely make no sense anymore, unless you're talking about discrimination, unless you're talking about real hurdles for women to get into those places. And are those hurdles sort of typically the, the culture, the, you know, the culture of those roles and representation? It's complicated. 
Um, I think from the employer's point of view, there is so much more they can do to encourage women in. There's definitely more that can be done in schools and careers and all that. But I think particularly for young women to help broaden their aspiration, employers particularly, can open the doors even more to encourage young women in and to show that they're really wanted. Uh, It makes me think of Glyn, one of the young women um, who worked with us, who was brave enough to apply and get an apprenticeship in construction, right? So she got through all those rather difficult hurdles, but it was intolerable once she got there. So from my point of view and from the young women I talked to at Young Women's Trust, we need something done at school. We need something done to encourage women in. And that's the framework, pretty much of what we're talking about in our report this week. And then we need things done to keep women in those sectors and give them belief that they're wanted. Intolerable because of the culture. Because of the culture, absolutely. And you hear about discrimination, you hear about in construction firms, I've heard women talk about the kind of persistent undermining sexism and sexist comments, but also lack of policy in those organisations to keep women there. So I was talking to one young woman recently and she said she had to really fight her manager in this construction firm to get flexible working so she could care for her kids. Well, if companies aren't prepared even to give flexible working or really make you fight so that they you don't really feel they want it, they're not going to keep women in those organisations. And, and to be clear, this is bad in principle because like, if you've only got one in 25 apprenticeships going to women in engineering, that's a sort of massive d- discrimination and discrepancy. But it's also bad for prosperity, isn't it? Because we need more engineers. We need more people going into apprenticeships in this area. So so it's kind of it's, it's kind of doubly problematic. Yeah. It, there's a huge skills gap growing in all the areas that I've mentioned in IT and engineering and construction. All you know, we talk about the industrial strategy and building the infrastructure in this country. Great. But we've got to do something to get women's talents in there because otherwise we're never going to be able to fill those gaps. I mean, it's staggering amounts of people we need to fill those engineering gaps. It's something like for every person applying, there's 25 more jobs, something in that sort of order. So if we don't do something to encourage women and value what they bring to those organisations as well, women will lose out, companies will lose out, and the economy will certainly lose out. Now, now we have something on this podcast called the Jeffocracy, which is Jeff as the supreme and hopefully benign-ish ruler. If Jeff were to sort of make you the kind of minister in charge of this area of the gender divide in the workplace and particularly getting women into traditionally male professions and you had your writ ran as widely as you wanted – um, and you could do what you like. What, what, what's the kinds of things that you would do in a sort of shooting for the moon way to say, right, this is, these, are the big, these are the big changes we need to see? First of all, I would insist that every company sets a target. Um, if that doesn't work over the next few years, then I'd ask them to set quotas. But for now, let's give them the chance to prove it because I'm not sure everyone really believes that it matters yet. So let's first of all, give them a chance, set a target and really work to achieving that target. Maybe even pay the CEO according to how well he or she meets that target um, of bringing people into those industries at all levels. So at the bottom and sustaining, promoting Because if you don't promote people up, then the women at the bottom aren't going to feel it's worth being there. So it's got to be throughout the organisation. So set 
target that will work for the organization it will attract women because they'll think oh well i'm not the only one woman going into this organization they really want lots of women and therefore it's not just you know i'm not just the token because that's the risk at the moment so that would be my first thing then i would insist that they review their recruitment policy um, and procedures so are they going out are they running events for women are they running taster sessions for women are they providing work experience for for women as well And again, evidencing that they're really taking steps to encourage women into that workplace um, and making them know. And then blind CVs. So make sure either completely blind recruitment Mm -hmm. and potentially 50-50 shortlist so that you're actually putting women Mm -hmm. in front of those panels. And those panels, again, need to be... So there's a whole... Are women applying and not getting in as well as not applying? Both, yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, listening to you talk, it's really interesting, this, because in so many areas, politics is miles behind, uh, not just on gender, but across the board. But one area where progress has been made is the issue of all women shortlists. And, you know, when Harriet Harman came into the House of Commons, I always say this, 1982, 3% of Labour MPs are women, now 45% of Labour MPs are women. And they have been incredibly controversial in the Labour Party, all women shortlists, and indeed in, in the country. But, you know, I can I can feel some of our listeners thinking, oh, you know, targets, quotas, is that what we want? Well, if the problem is such that nothing changes, and in this area, it feels like very, the progress has been at best glacial, something's got to be done, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, I would agree completely. And again, in the report, what we show is that employers are really nervous about doing anything. So actually, although some of these things are completely legal and legitimate, the law doesn't need to change. Like targets, you mean? Yeah, like, well, like targets, like taking action to attract women in. And I'll come on to something um, else, which is called the tiebreaker clause in a moment, which is also legal. But people are nervous. They think they're going to get sued for appointing a woman over a man. And, you know, you may think that's strange, but that's what we hear from employers. So they're very nervous to do anything in this area. So we hope that this report at least will also instill a level of confidence in people that they can actually, where where it's really clear and they can show they've got an imbalance in their organisation, they can do something about it. And you're also saying that the surrounding circumstances of the job are important. So it's not just the direct discrimination. It's also, is there flexible working Presumably, you know, what's society projecting about what it means to be a doctor or an engineer or a construction worker? Are we projecting images of men all the time? Presumably all of that is relevant here. It, absolutely. I'm, we need to do more to, yes, there's kind of the role model argument about showing that actually you can see women. I think young women want to see other young women. They don't want to just see people on the board table. They want to see women more like them. They want to be interviewed by women more like them, which is why I'm really keen that whatever is done encourages a number of women into organisations in one go. And the other bit I was going to talk about, which was is this tiebreaker, is that employers are particularly nervous if they've got women underrepresented and they've got, they're interviewing a man, they're interviewing women, they're equal in terms of experience and knowledge and everything, they are allowed to appoint the woman over the man. But they're really, really nervous to do that. So they find ways never to use it preferably and they'll make an argument for why probably the man was more qualified. So I think it is also about conveying to um, employers and recruiters and recruiting agencies too that they have to present diverse lists of candidates and then help people understand what is allowed within the legislation. And then when people get in, from day one, 
right to flexible working. It's no good being told in six months you can apply for flexible working. What do you do for the first six months? You know, if you've got small kids, you know what it's like. How do you juggle that for six months until you're allowed to go to your employer and now say, can I have flexible working? And they have the right to say no. And sadly, I think certainly in construction, I think they're so set on kind of antisocial shift hours as well that to get a shift that allows you to take kids to school in the morning or pick them up at the end of the day is really tough. So again, that will discriminate against women who have caring responsibilities. Carol Easton, thank you so much for joining us. And everybody should go onto your website and read your report. Well, I'm delighted to say that we're now joined by Libby Lyons, who is the head of the Workplace Gender Equality Agency in Australia. And she joins us now from Perth. Thanks so much for joining us, Libby. It's an absolute pleasure. First of all, tell us a bit about the the work of the Gender Workplace Equality Agency. I know you've been the head of it since October 2015. What's its mission? Well, look, the Workplace Gender Equality Agency was set up um, by an Act of Parliament in 2012, the Workplace Gender Gender Equality Act, and it actually uh, replaced the Equal Opportunity for Women at Work Act. Um, the government of the day decided, uh, looking at, at research that had been done globally, that we needed to take the focus off women and place it more on gender, because the research was telling us that if we were to see real change in the workplace, then we had to engage men and change the way that men have traditionally worked as well. So the focus became on gender rather than women. Um, So the agency's been in place now since uh, 2012. We collect data from every organisation in the private sector in Australia with more than 100 employees, around six gender equality indicators. So we collect all this data on an annual basis And then each year the agency analyzes that data. We put together a scorecard and then we use the data that we have to uh, develop education campaigns uh, and and work with employers to uh, help them develop strategies uh, and implementation plans to drive gender equality in their workplaces. And if you think about the divide between traditionally male jobs and traditionally female jobs, which is obviously one of your missions is to break down that divide, how would you say it's going and and what are the tools that seem to be working for you? Well, I think what we have learned in collecting this data is that the male-dominated industries are addressing the issue of gender equality at the moment better than the female-dominated industries. And, and certainly for the agency going forward, uh, focusing on and working more with the female-dominated industries is really, really important. In Australia, um, not unlike, I think, the UK and the US and Canada, um, you know, six out of ten employees work in an industry or a business that is dominated by one gender or the other. So we really need to to really break down these barriers, these, these gender barriers that we see. But certainly the male-dominated industries are doing better at the moment. And, you know, I really take my hat off to the mining industry, uh, uh, which, of course, is a big industry in Australia, and the mining industry has, has been doing a lot uh, to attract more women into the workplace, 
uh, and to ensure that they get more women into leadership roles as well. Can you talk to us about the, the, the work that you do with the employers to try and redress the balance? Well, we have a, we have a couple of um, great programs that we run. Um, one's called the Employer of Choice for Gender Equality Citation. And that's where we raise the bar really, really high. And uh, we encourage employers to apply uh, to us for a gender equality citation each year. Uh, and they present what they're doing in their workplaces. They have to meet certain strict criteria and each year we award these citations. And I have to say that is really driving best practice. And this year uh, we had 120 citations that we gave out, which we were really thrilled about. We also have what we call a pay equity ambassador program. We currently have, I think it's about 156 CEOs who are signed up as pay equity ambassadors. And what they do is they commit to the agency that they will conduct a gender pay gap audit on a, on a yearly basis, uh, that they will work with their suppliers and with their peers to drive uh, the messaging around the importance of having pay gap um, audits across an organisation, but also uh, in working and talking with their peers about how they address the gender pay gap. Uh, so that, that pay equity ambassador program's working really, really well as well. Let me ask you a sort of question just building on what you said about um, getting uh, men into traditionally female professions. In the UK, looking up the figures, I was pretty taken aback to see that in childcare, only 2% of the workforce, one in 50, are men. And in caring professions generally, it's, it's, it's very low. Is that a similar problem to Australia? What are the, some of the ways that you can confront and overcome this? Uh, very similar to Australia. I think in childcare at the moment, uh, you're actually doing a little bit better than us. I think ours is up nearly at 99%. Um, but uh, right. look, you know, but uh, you know, it's neck and neck. So I'm not going to uh, not going to count that one percent. Sure. Um, uh, sure. I think it, look, it is a big issue for us. We know, for instance, um, from our Commonwealth Department of Health here, that by 2030 we are going to be short of nurses to the tune of about 123,000. That's a lot of nurses that we need to find. We're finding in Australia that the male-dominated industries such as uh, the resources industry and the construction industry, they are traditionally industries that are declining. Um, and whereas healthcare, social assistance and education, the female-dominated industries are increasing. So we really need to educate and encourage men and and let them understand that actually these are really sustainable, rewarding jobs that they can become involved in. Um, we have an, a fabulous organisation here called Mercy Healthcare uh, started a program uh, back in 2015 to try and encourage more young men into caring and nursing roles. And what they did was they went out to regional parts of Australia and uh, started work programs with secondary school students, um, in encouraging all but particularly male students to do work experience in healthcare. Um, they've seen some really fabulous results in that regard. It's cradle to grave. We have to challenge it every step along the process 
and, and along, you know, uh, the, the path of children growing into teenagers, adults and beyond. We've already discussed that our track record here in the UK is pretty dismal. Are there any examples from around the world of countries that you think do a good job of this? Look, I have to say um, I must commend the UK on the work you're doing around the pay gap and we are watching progress um, uh, with the, the the transparency that you've introduced around uh, your organisations having to publish your pay gap. We're watching that with interest. We do not require our organisations here to publish their pay gap. We get the pay gap data, but we don't make that public. So we're watching that with interest. And if we see that there is, you know, um, a, a correlation between pay transparency and the gender pay gap dropping, then uh, we'll be sitting up and watching and learning from that. So well done. I think that's fantastic. So we're not that dismal after all then? No, absolutely not. No, I think, you, you know, in that regard, you're leading the world. Um, I think the, the, the thing is that we've got to remember, though, is that the gender pay gap is just symptom of a bigger problem. Uh, and we have to tackle that big, bigger problem. Uh, and I think that, um, you know, that's what I'm very proud of that we're doing in Australia. I think there is something interesting here, isn't there, which is that on pay, you can see advances are being made, not as quickly as we'd like. But on this issue of occupational segregation, am I right in thinking that even the Scandinavian countries face quite a big challenge here, that the caring professions tend to be dominated by women uh, and, you know, th th they're not there yet either? No, they're not. And we do have we do have a long way to go with this. And some of it, I think, is, well, certainly in Australia and I think probably in the UK as well, um, I, I, you know, I lived there for many years, um, I think part of it is to do with the value that we have traditionally placed on the work that women do. We know from some studies out of the States that the minute you start seeing uh, more men move into female-dominated industries, you know, the pay goes up. And interestingly, the converse is true. So the minute you see women start to move, uh, certainly in the States this was the case, and the minute more women started to move into male-dominated industries, the pay went down. What's that tell us about the, the, the value that we place on women when they work? Libby Lowndes, thank you so much for joining us. My very great pleasure. Thank you. It feels like it's a really important subject because, you know, gender pay is obviously really important and it interacts with this, but... But it feels like quite a hard nut to crack on the basis of talking to what about what's happening in Australia, the fact that Scandinavia, that is normally our, you know, utopia, has also got some issues in this area. It feels, you know, important, but not, not easy. I do have a little thing from Sweden on this subject, oh, yeah. which is worth mentioning. Um, uh, a few years ago, they introduced a gender neutral pronoun. Hennis. So it's like, you know, you use he, she and they yeah. and they never feels great. Yeah. Hennis is a word in its own right. So if a kid, for example, is reading a book about a doctor or a firefighter, if you use That's the gender really neutral good. pronoun, then it's not ascribed to, uh, you know. And how long has that been operation? That I th gender think just, just a few years. I think it's within the last 10 years. So it's a that new it's word yes, they introduced. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. So, you know, when you talk about it starting at a very young age, um, that's something that could help. I'm sure you're right that it starts really early. And of course, it's about school. It's about acting in every area. I mean, I'm struck by the all women shortlist example. And I'm also struck there's something in America, which may sound a bit off the point, called Title IX, which was introduced to make sure that sports in 
not just in school, but I think mainly in schools where it's had the biggest impact, the spending was equal between girls and boys. And it's led to an amazing thing in terms of women's soccer in the United States. You know, people don't like quotas and all of that, but but they but have they an work. effect. They, they, work. they work, don't yeah. they? And, you know, if you think about all the women in the House of Commons, the people you say, oh, well, you know, they're going to be second class MPs. I mean, nonsense. Yeah, there's just no evidence of that. It's just that these were women who previously wouldn't have got in because of the all the barriers of discrimination and it's institutionalised. People don't think they're discriminating, but it, it's, exactly, it's, and nobody says, "Oh, that person was elected on all women shortlist." Yeah, so they work, and you know, they kind of become part of the furniture, if you like. Email us reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at Cheerful Podcast, or search for our Facebook page, Reasons to Be Cheerful Podcast. leaving the reasons to be cheerful whatsapp group but what he didn't realize was that there was a secret whatsapp group which i was excluded from so i never really was in it and so no, he rather no, he outed my colleague's no. secret whatsapp group by, no. by attacking me for having I, I wanna, i'm gonna hand you my phone lauren it's How the, it's the reasons to be cheerful whatsapp group i'd like to say that the very the very last thing the most recent thing in the group what does it say ed miliband left but the yeah. thing is, ed so miliband you can didn't understand. know he joined because basically uh, everybody thought we'd do not want him on this WhatsApp group, right. but but obviously Jeff wasn't in on the thing. Jeff was in the WhatsApp group, but not in on the. Fact I'm that quite I wasn't flattered that they let me join the WhatsApp group. Well, I'm not flattered. Yeah. I'm furious. Too confusing. Mm. I mean, like reply to all and all that stuff is like that was that's hard enough anyway. Well, don't reply and to me, basically. A that's kind a... of like reply to all. Like there's a whole app. All it is yeah. is replying to. Just all. make sure I'm not in your group. That's the sort I of thing. I've, I've not. Re- I hear a lot of people saying, "Oh, it's so exhausting." I'm in so many WhatsApp groups, but I'm in hardly any. Is there something you're in one? more than me mate <laughs> I'm in one with a group the group that were going on my friend's Hindu and it is it, it is literally just pictures of vaginas like you know I, I was like I'm sure it's a Hindu group I'm not in that yeah, one either actually just for the record but I mean you know it's a whole thing but yeah I don't pop back there very often <laughs> uh, Lauren you've brought along some ideas which uh, could be potential reasons for we're going to we're going to hear them and judge them um, what's your first one well they're quite 
broad, you know. Um, We're quite broad. Good, yes. I mean, I, I've based my ideas on my own personal cheering up list. So obviously steering aside from politics to try and, and just see what's, what's applicable to everybody Definitely. across the board, right? Um, so these are the things that always make me feel better. Um, so shall I do my cleaning first? Because I kind of think if you are down, there is nothing better than a good, clean, clear, out, detox, tidy your living space. Definitely. Okay. But not everybody finds this as therapeutic as I do. Not everybody finds it very easy. Um, so I'm thinking, what if we could um, make the next fitness trend be, because cleaning is like, it's quite a good workout. I cleaned my house yesterday. And honestly, if, if I bothered to have a pedometer on, which I did, it probably would have, would have said 10,000 steps I mean like easy order, <laughs> right um, but just hoovering and I kind of think maybe we could rebrand cleaning as you know how British military fitness do all their yes. green gym stuff yes. and people like Brian actually they do litter picking now people pick litter um, as a workout and they can pay to do it and I'm kind of thinking like maybe there's a word for that isn't there what green gym no litter, litter picking when people go out and Isn't community it wombling? service wombling Wombling. 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 Yeah. 70s TV show, yeah. Yeah. Great Uncle Bulgaria. So, Wombling. Yeah. Well, Wombling could come into it, but I'm kind of thinking like cleaning houses as well. So, you could get like people who want to do a high intensity <laughs> interval training. They could come and blitz but your I'm, house I'm, and pay for the plan. How about this? How about you claim Wombling mm. and do like, you know, the equivalent of Jane Fonda's fitness videos from the 1980s? You do Wombling videos. What are the high aerobic household activities? Should I be putting <laughs> sponges on my feet? That could work. I would like to see that, definitely. You want probably want to do upper body, lower body. Definitely yeah. cheers you up, though, cle- clearing stuff up. I find that. But apparently, as well, there is a thing where, um, because it's a meditative activity, it allows uh, your your kind of conscious brain is engaged with this meditative, relaxing, well, not relaxing, but kind of you're engaged with enough activity, but it doesn't require a kind of intense thought. So, therefore, your subconscious and the kind of problem-solving part of your brain is allowed to do it. I buy it. Often, like when I'm stuck on a problem, I'll go and have a clear out and then you come back and it's like you have the answer. Needs a name. Clean gym, like green gym? It's, it's not bad. Clean gym. Yeah. All We're right. On. Yeah, we'll have that one. Uh, Lauren, what do you have next? Okay, next, I think generally glitter. I realise that this is as ridiculous as it gets, but glitter always makes me feel better about anything and I think it's underrated as a, as a kind of medium for cheering things up um, and I, it's a very quick one but I read recently and I bought some which is really exciting that biodegradable glitter has been invented because wow. one of the terrible things about yeah. glitter is that you know microplastics yeah. but they have now made plant based glitter it is out there it exists and I just think we could everybody should have some in their life save the whales yeah. and cheer yourself up yeah why not but we want us to wear glitter basically I do but I kind of think people could be more creative with it like like um you know put it on, put it in things put it on stuff you can get edible glitter now one of my sons it says that when he grows up he's going to invent glitter hair dye imagine that glittery hair glittery hair think that might work for me yes definitely yeah you, you'd look less like a badger thank you very much <laughs> <laughs> that's so nice of you there is a sort of backstory to this which is a prime minister's questions that i did where i was attacking david Cameron about the, the badger, badger cull but i got it myself into a sort of you know because you do go a bit bananas being yeah. leader of the opposition 
I got convinced that the problem was the joke was going to rebound on me because people thought I would look like a badger <laughs> because of the streak of grey hair yeah. and all that. So to be fair, he's not just being rude to me. I think there's nothing wrong with looking a bit like a badger. Do you think? I think that's quite cool. Yeah. Oh, good. Should that applies to all, all woodland so animals. Just, so I shouldn't say, do I look like no, a badger? No. I should say, I do look like I should wear it as a badge of pride. I think a badger of pride. You've got a badger of pride. <laughs> Badgers can be quite nasty. I mean, it's not that they're nasty, but they... Like so, I would picture this right. I'm down on the Isle of Wight, covering the Isle of Wight festival. It wasn't me, by the way. No, it wasn't. It did have the look of you, though. Right. Um, I'm covering the Isle of Wight festival. Finished the job at like two o'clock in the morning. No cabs anywhere. I had to go and find the B and B where you know my little boy was and my, and my parents who were looking after him were. And it was on the other side of the island. So I can't get a cab anywhere. So I end up with one of the other production crew. This is like pre-smartphone apps, uh, drawing a map of how we're going to get back to this place on like a paper towel. And then I'm the map reader and she's driving this van that we borrowed from somewhere. I can't even remember whose it was. Probably the Fratelli's. It was <laughs> so we get in this van and before we set off, the guy kind of who's seen us off in his team goes, watch out for the badges though. Like, what are you talking about? Watch out for the badges. Seriously, he wasn't wrong. He said, they go quite fast they'll run up the side of the van and then they'll jump into the road at the last minute and I was like you what I mean I grew up on Wind of the Willows right it's nothing like the budget I know I know from my uh, childhood experience and he was absolutely correct we're wow. driving along two o'clock in the morning thundering up the side on the uh, the driver's side of the van it's this flashing monochrome <laughs> Beast that's just bearing down on us. Did it? Did it catch up with you? That just followed us for ages. It's dead menacing. Well, I'll call myself now a flashing monochrome beast. Somebody told me the trick is to either carry eggshell or a lolly stick in your pocket because if a badger bites you, it doesn't let go until it hears bone break. So if you have a lolly stick or some eggshell, you can crack it. Eggshell in that like how? That's the worst tip for anything. Like what? Brian May of Queen, big badger lover. Yeah, I've talked to him about badgers. I've talked to him a lot about badgers. A lot. Yeah, no, a lot. When I was leader of the opposition, we had a number of meetings about badgers. Can you put a number? On it. Well, I mean, less than ten. Right. <laughs> I am a big badger fan. You know. For the record, yeah. For the no, nobody here is like anti badger. Yeah. I would like that minute. Yeah, we won't yeah. edit that bit out. I promise you. <laughs> I've forgotten why we're talking about badgers. Oh, yeah, glitter, of course, glitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course. Yeah. So um, are, you, are you a glitter fan? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sold, yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, what else do you have, Lauren? I have access to nature. This is another uh, really big, broad, easy idea. Um, being outside is so good for us. and I think, Totally. You know, being having access to nature, it's really, really important, and we should have better access to nature for everyone. And I thought I'd bring this in because I read a little a while back that kids in the northeast have the best access to nature of any kids in the country there was a big study done wow. and um, they were looking into the mental health benefits of spending time in natural environments which could mean the coast obviously if you're talking about the northeast but it could also be um, you know your local park and um, you know woods and stuff like that but so many people don't get the chance to totally it, right for, for various reasons you know don't get the chance to um, spend time in nature I think it's really important so more green space it should be more green space yes definitely um, and also better access for people who can't reach it you know. great 
Did you have another one? I had another one, which is which is dogs. As a non-dog person, you're a non-dog person, non animal person generally. Apart from badgers. Apart from badgers, I mean, like you know, I wish animals no ill, certainly, <laughs> but um, not like a, you. you know, some people are like really intensely animal people. Mm. Never been one of those people particularly, but we got a dog um, just before Christmas, and he has just been the best thing for our family and for me, and also he makes me talk to people. I made a list of the people that I had to talk to because also I should say my dog really likes the smell of cannabis I've had to interact with so many different kinds of people because of my dog because he is such a good and delightful boy and he will go up and jump up at them no matter what they're doing and uh, I will have a conversation so at any given day I could kind of be talking to like the lads who are in the underpass just hanging around for whatever reason and then like you know the delightful older dog owner it does make you talk to people somehow uh, having a dog and then see you know because I always say people you know oh, that's a nice dog and you need to get into a conversation with them. I mean that's your idea of hell isn't it no, well no with a dog what I like about it is there's a structure you know they uh, want to know what sort of dog it is what it's called so if it's a good boy you feel okay about talking um, to strangers when yeah. there's a dog involved yeah because you know but, but most of the oh, conversations about how old is your strangers. dog and what a nice breed it is yeah yeah, I am not somebody who had this natural inclination, but it's been so good for us in all sorts of different ways. Like, yes, getting out into your local area, your community. I do agree with people. this. I do agree with and this. I think they've done, done studies and discovered that actually, even if you would not describe yourself as an animal person, if you kind of pet a nice dog or yeah, you're totally therapeutic, they do send them. It lowers your heart rate. And therapeutic you animals, get all definitely. The same benefits that a kind of animal person would get. Totally, and the unconditional love is wonderful. They just think you're a great person yeah if you're a dick yeah <laughs> just, they just think you're amazing and or if you go out for five minutes it's like you've been away for a year they make you notice the things in life that are really worth noticing so it'll be the dog who's like hey you've put the fire on why don't we just have a nap here for a while <laughs> oh yeah we should or the dog will be like let's go outside yeah I've never really been in the near to getting a pet but yeah, this, conversation is, it. this conversation is edging me towards I it I can recommend it is really? what I would say to you no, definitely my no. children are slightly sceptical about it you know, there's such a weird yeah. family dynamic that your kids don't want a yeah. dog <laughs> <laughs> what would the what poo the poos the but feeding but they're not going to have to do the poos are they that's mm, the, but that kind of feels like conceding quite a lot if he's Hey, okay, well, we'll get one. <laughs> you do have to do the poos. <laughs> I think as a parent, and if you're going into poos. dog buying, you've probably got to like, even if you get the kids to say that, they'll yeah. do that. You, you know what's going yeah. on you, right? Lauren, while we've got you here, what, what, what have you got going on in the minute? I mean, obviously, six music shows you bread and butter every day, but you, you always seem to be me to be one of these people who has so much other stuff going on as well. Yes, doing I'm the... doing lots of different things. I'm doing the Westworld fan show over on um, Sky Atlantic, which is really fun and runs Monday night straight after Westworld so really enjoying that we're nearly at the end of the season and I'm doing Radio 4 I'm doing Late Night Woman's Hour uh, which has got its own standalone podcast now which is really exciting and I'm about to start the Great Northern Soundtrack series of gigs in the Sage in Gateshead which is part of the Great Exhibition of the North so I'll be there for the kickoff of that and then doing an OB on Six Music for the closing weekend too Great and you're also founder of the, the Pool Yes I am co-founder of the Pool which I'm really really proud of that's um, just doing brilliantly I'm so proud of the team going from strength to strength and they've got some great podcasts as well actually we've got some great podcasts on the site Lauren thank you so much My pleasure Thank you for coming Thank you for letting me come and join you Reasons to be Cheerful, a podcast about ideas with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd.
So we're in the outro. We're in the outro. I'm very excited about the World Cup. World Cup fever. Uh, because it's much easier to get reservations in restaurants during the World Cup than it is. Is that right? Yeah, because everybody's watching football. It's, it's you do it at the time of the England game? Though? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah, yeah, there's a, a, a little tip. pro tip for you. Ed was just singing... Um, it's coming home. <laughs> I don't think anyone's singing It's Coming Home because I think we're in a sort of lowering of expectations. I don't know. It's all over my head. Although I was involved in a, a novelty football record for the 1998 World World Cup. Were you? Yeah, I mean, surely you remember meat pie sausage roll, come on England, give us a goal. No. I'm in the video, you should look it up on YouTube. What are you doing on the video? I'm miming playing keyboards. You are not. Yes. Why do they have you on it? Well, it was from my old radio show in Manchester. There was a comedian up there called Smug Roberts who had a character called Grandad Roberts whose, whose catchphrase was meat pie sausage roll, come on Oldham, give us a goal. And he realised, hang on, there could be a... There could be mileage in this and made a World Cup record. And it was featured on the front page of the Daily Star for three consecutive days. And it was all over the TV, And but it, it sadly failed to set the charts alight. So you, you've you've just looked it up on um, you've just looked it up on YouTube. It's there. Mm. Impressed? Don't give up the day job. You don't think re-release it for this year's World Cup? You know, I think it's sort of you should probably bide your time. <laughs> I think it'll come back in. Right? Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's sort of in a few years' time. Yes. Yeah. Okay. You know, don't don't you think? I feel I'm being patronised here. It needs a bit of a sort of twenty-five, <laughs> thirty-year rule here. You've condescended to. Um, but anyway, you've given people a good restaurant tip, and if they want to laugh, they can look at your video. Meat pie sausage roll. Yeah. Come on, England gives a goal. Yeah. Uh, we should thank our guests. We should thank our guests. I- I'd like to thank Nia, John, Carol Easton, and Libby Lyons. And thanks to the wonderful Lauren Laverne. And apologies that the sound was a little off on Lauren's bit. Um, it, I, I could blame it on Gremlins, but it was entirely down to me not pressing the right button and not recording Lauren's microphone properly. So I'm really sorry about that. Emma Caution produced our podcast with backup and research from Alex Feisbrice and Lindsay Todd. Gail Lofthouse is our announcer. James Deacon made our idents. Ed Seed wrote the music and the artwork was designed by Emily Power. He's been the flashing monochrome beast. He's been the guy in the secret WhatsApp group from which I'm excluded. <laughs> These have been reasons to be cheerful.